Let's go to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. As you find your way there, I'm suspicious that many of you over the years have put your administrative tasks to work and you perhaps had to arrange a wedding or a wedding reception or a baby shower. Maybe you have had the opportunity to organize a family reunion or an athletic tournament or a parade, or maybe even in your pre-Christian days, a dance, because after all, Christians don't dance, just with their fingers. But perhaps you've, you've had the opportunity to, to put time and energy into some sort of a big event, and the event might last two, three, four hours, and people come and they enjoy the food and they they're blessed by it and whatever you're celebrating is aptly celebrated. But they probably don't realize how much time you actually put into organizing that event. To, to just get people together for a couple of hours might have involved hundreds of hours of planning, driving from store to store, buying things, communicating with people that have a role, sending out emails, cleaning, renting chairs, setting up tents, putting flower displays together, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into organizing events that people may not always acknowledge or recognize. And the same is true of church ministry. When we get together like this, it didn't just happen. Hundreds of people every week in our church put in hundreds of hours, training others in ministry, making phone calls, creating schedules, sending out emails, rehearsing music, writing sermons, writing lesson plans, purchasing supplies, having meetings for planning, training new people, and on and on and on and on. We might think church just happens. We just show up and somehow a sermon happens and somehow greeters are in the parking lot. Somehow the parking lot gets plowed or salted and somehow the grass gets cut and somehow buildings get built or they just clean themselves during the week and sound gear just shows up through the Amazon delivery guy when we need it. But no, there's, there's hundreds of hours that go into all of our different ministries every week spread out over the efforts of hundreds and hundreds of people. Ministry requires organization, leadership development and planning and it's important for us to do a good job in these areas of ministry to ensure that we're well-organized and strategic in ministry. Because listen to this, if we fail to be organized and strategic, ministry actually suffers and we rob ourselves of the opportunity to minister to more and more people. Ministry, as we know, is, is filled with highs and lows. Sometimes things are hopping. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes things seem a little bit stagnant. Sometimes we may even find ourselves in some challenging circumstances. But no matter where we're at in ministry, I think we would all understand as Christians that we always have to exercise prayerful dependence upon God to do what we can't do. But let go and let God is not a Christian concept. God is sovereign and God does that which we cannot, but God has also called us to partner with him in ministry. And he has assigned us certain duties 
that we need to take seriously in order to serve him well. So while we exercise prayerful dependence upon the Lord, we also want to be well organized. And there are many examples of this in scripture. Take for instance, Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. Moses was trying to govern the people. It was getting out of hand. People were being overlooked. He was being worked to the bone from sunup to sundown and he was burning out. And his father-in-law came to him and basically said, you got to get organized. He didn't say you need to pray more or you don't understand your, the word of God. He said, you, you got to get organized. You have to appoint people to various tasks, appoint some to lead 10 or 50 or 100. And so Moses took seriously his father-in-law's advice and, he, advice and he organized the people. And by simply organizing the people and creating some infrastructure, more and more people got ministered to. When David, the mighty man of battle, was going to war, a man who was described in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart, he could have said, well, you know, God is on our side. God's going before us. So guys, we're just going to come out with our swords and we're just going to indiscriminately run across the battlefield and hope for the best. But he didn't. Instead, the Bible teaches us that David divided his men into groups of a hundred and a thousand and put them under three different generals. He created a military structure. In doing so, he wasn't excluding God. He wasn't saying, oh, we're going to do what God can't. But he was organizing the people of God for battle. In the passage we're going to examine this morning in the book of Acts, the apostles are seen here delegating responsibilities to seven faithful men in order to accommodate a growing ministry. And there's two lessons here. One is in the area of organization, planning, strategic planning, if you will. And the other is in the area of what qualifies a person to actually serve the Lord. But before we get into the text, I'm aware of the fact that there's three types of people that may resist a sermon like this. One group would be those that might say, well, God is sovereign. When the church of Jesus Christ meets, God is sovereign. So we don't need to, we don't need to plan. We don't need to organize. God's going to go before us. He'll take care of things. You know, there's no reason to have meetings and budgets and ministry descriptions and to spend time doing those kinds of things. That, that reeks of the corporate world. We just, we just pray and we just read our Bibles and we just show up and we just hope for the best. We hope that someone paid the bills this week. We, we hope that miraculously somehow some angels come and flap their wings and clear the snow out of the parking lot. We hope that somehow, whether he prepared or not, God's just gonna drop something into Aaron's head so he has something for, for us today. You can have that view, but it, that, doesn't, that doesn't align with scripture. Or on the other hand, you could say, you know, we're, we're just spirit led. We're just going to let the spirit lead. We're not going to prepare our sermons. We're just going to get up and pray that the Lord drops a sermon out of the sky. We're just going to let the spirit do whatever he wants. Meet for however long we want. We could do that. Or there's a third group. Eh, administration and organization's boring. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I just want to come and enjoy and have fun. But what we're going to see in the word of God is the word of God calls us to both prayerful reliance upon him 
making sure that people are actually qualified for the tasks and responsibilities that are assigned to them, and at the same time to be organized, to develop structures and to equip people suitable to whatever tasks or ministries God has laid before a given church. So in Acts chapter six, the context is the early church was growing like wildfire, but there were growing pains. There were the highs and lows associated with a growing ministry. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ by the droves, that's a good thing. The early Christians, through the sacrifice of their people, were able to provide for the physical and spiritual needs of their new disciples, that's a good thing. But there was a problem. And the problem was that some people were being overlooked. Some people's needs were being overlooked, not because they were disliked, but because there was just not enough leaders to go around. So in the first verse of Acts chapter six, here's what we're told. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Notice it's spoken of in the past tense, which means that in all likelihood, by the time Luke recorded this a couple decades later, the growth might have subdued a little bit, might have slowed down a little bit. I mean, growth isn't constant. If you study church history, if you study the the history of even faithful churches, you know, your, your growth sometimes goes like this for whatever reason. Sometimes a lot of people are pouring in the doors. Sometimes a lot of people are pouring out the back door. There's highs and lows, but this was a high in the area of numbers, but was starting to become a low because there was some complaints arising among the people. Imagine that by the way, that there would be complaints in a Christian church that some people would feel that they weren't adequately being cared for, that they weren't being integrated into a small group quick enough, that people weren't friendly enough, that they didn't feel a sense of belonging quick enough, that they weren't invited to the pastor's house for lunch yet. By the way, I'd love to have the majority of you over, not all of you, but the majority of you. And if you have the opportunity to come to our house, it will not be me doing the cooking, okay? It'll be my wife, she's pretty good at that. But as I've mentioned to you before, you know, one person can't do all the ministry and one person doesn't do the ministry in this church, but there, there are certain expectations that people bring into church life. You know, their kids are gonna fit into the youth group in a certain way, or their kids are gonna connect with the young adults in a certain way, or they're gonna be treated a certain way at the academy or in our kids ministry, and it doesn't always happen. And people can feel sort of left out and it might not be anyone's fault. But if the fault is in the area of a lack of organization or a lack of planning, that needs to be corrected. So in this particular case, the church had a food distribution program. And the people that were being fed weren't 25 year old, able-bodied, lazy bum, video playing men who just didn't want to put a resume anywhere and get a job, but it were the widows, the proverbial widows and orphans of society, those that really relied upon others to provide for their 
need. So the church had this big distribution program of food and more and more people were, were taking part in it. But the problem was in this group of disciples, we have Hellenists and we have Hebrews. So what's the context? So we have the, the Roman province of Palestinia, Palestine, we call it Israel. And it was being overseen by the Romans and the lingua franca, the common language of the people at the time was Greek, Koine Greek to be precise. And most Jews probably spoke some or a lot of Greek. If they were involved in trade or business, it was pretty much necessary for you to be able to speak that language. And then they had their native tongue, which at the time would have been Aramaic, which is the overarching language under which we have Hebrew. Same alphabet, same basic grammatical structure, just slightly different language. So some people spoke Aramaic and maybe a little bit of Greek. Some people spoke a lot of Greek because maybe their family had lived outside of Israel for a few generations and returned, or they were involved in a lot of commerce or whatever it might be. So you had Jewish people that fell into the Hellenist camp, meaning they were more Greekified. And you had those that fell into the Hebrews camp, which means they were more Aramaicified. And there was a bit of a division there, some linguistic barriers, as you can imagine. And for whatever reason, I don't think there was any prejudice going on, but for whatever reason, the apostles who were more on the Hebrew side of things, maybe weren't organizing, maybe were overlooking things a little bit, or some of the people that they should have delegated authority to weren't taking things seriously enough. And some started to feel that they were being overlooked. So we have an organizational problem, not a moral problem, not a theological problem, right? So this is not about they were getting the Bible wrong or they were committing some ethical sins. It was an organizational problem and it was le leading to hurt feelings, right? So you make the connections. This happens all the time in, time in Christian churches. People misunderstand each other. They get hurt. They feel overlooked. They feel left out. It happens. So what are they going to do about it is, is the big question. Now, I, I can relate to this on a certain level. I remember a year or so ago when we were, a lot of people pouring through our doors. We were having difficulty meeting in our facility and we were organizing our church into flocks. If memory serves me correct, Jay Pickering, who deserves like a gold medal, had to put, I think, four to 500 people, new people into flocks in one week. Now, just to give you some comparables, we usually put about 250 people a year into new small groups. Double that number had to be done in a week. It's overwhelming, overwhelming task. I think Jay, at the end of that week, looked 10 years older than he did entering into it. Of course, if he's here, is he here? There he is. He looks old most days anyway. Yeah. So I don't want to lose out on that opportunity. Other times in the life of a church, you feel overwhelmed with a counseling load. Just like for whatever reason, all of a sudden there's a ton load of marital issues. And it's like, wow, how are we going to meet all these needs? 
Other times, it's not marital issues. It's, it's something good, like there's just a lot of weddings and a lot of events. How are we going to put them all on the calendar? So that can create some stress. Or you may find yourself in a period of time when a lot of people are moving away for job, for new jobs. Maybe there's an economic crisis in your area or people are underemployed. And so all of a sudden you have this real tangible physical need to, to meet people's financial challenges. And that's in addition to your just ongoing regular ministry as a church. And any one of those situations can lead to a great deal of stress. So what the apostles did is they said, okay, we're going to start working 80 hours a week. We're going to just take on more and more. No, that's not what they did. They decided, look, it was time to add a layer of organization to their hierarchy, which basically involved them doing everything. So what they do then is they appoint seven faithful men to serve in the food distribution program. And it's a great reminder to us that we each have different roles to play in the Christian church. Look at verse two. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Two things you need to understand about that. When they say it's not right, they're not saying it's, it's not morally right. This is not a moral declaration. But practically, experientially, organizationally, it's not right. It just doesn't make sense, in other words, for us to be doing the preaching, the teaching, and all the hands-on ministry. It's just, it's just impossible. Nor are they saying that serving tables is beneath them. Not saying that either. They're not creating some sort of a God loves preachers, God hates the kitchen staff kind of theology. But they understood in an increasing way that they needed to focus on the things that God had uniquely given to them to focus on. In other words, it isn't right for the church ever to be a one-man show. That's not good leadership. And it's not right for the church to be led entirely by a council of elders, for them to do all the work. It's not right for your small group leader to be doing the phone calling, the scheduling, the music, the prayer time, the Bible study, brewing the coffee and baking the brownies. It's not right for them to do everything. It's not right for a biblical counselor to have to make the appointment, listen to your issues, give you advice, and then follow you around all week to make sure you put it into practice. It's not right. It, it's not a moral issue. It just doesn't work. So as God entrusts us with ministry, we have to think, okay, Lord, how can we wisely put structures and people in place so we don't lose out on the opportunity to minister to more people. The one man show or small group show style of leadership that is present in many churches isn't right. It just doesn't work. Instead, what we're told here is that some, some are mouths and some are hands. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that there's this illustration there of the human body, and Paul talks about how the body has many parts, some of, some of the parts we see. So when we think of another person, we usually think of their face. We don't think of their toes. I've not even seen most of your toes, and I don't care to. 
But I know your toes are important to you. If I came up and stomped on your toe, you'd, you'd yelp. Your, your fingers aren't what I think about, but if you had a sliver under your fingernail, that's probably all you'd be thinking about in the moment, even though it's a less obvious part of you. It's still really, really important to you. In the church, it's the same idea. Some are going to be more prominent, more obvious in higher levels of leadership, but everyone is of equal importance to the Christian church. God has designed us with different gifts, and as we discover them, we are called to use them. So we're all called to evangelize, but some are just great evangelists. And we're all called to be able to share God's word with those that might ask us a question, to be prepared for those who ask us for a reason, for the hope that we have. But some are gifted as teachers. And we should all try to encourage other people, but some of you just aren't very encouraging. That's a joke, but it's true. But I thought you'd laugh, (laughs) but you're clearly not. So I'll move on. Some of you are gifted in the area of service, although we're all called to serve. Some people just eat, sleep, and breathe service. Like if if there's a job to be done, they're there. And clearly it motivates them. It energizes them to serve other people. And as you discover what your gifts are and you start to use them, not only do you bear fruit, other people affirm it, but your battery is charged. You're affirmed. You're like, yeah, this, this is what God has made me for. But if you're serving in an area you're not gifted for, it's just, oh, what a drag, it's just draining. <laughs> I just feel depleted every time I serve in area ABC. So I was thinking to myself, as I've observed people, different Christians over the years, and I've thought through my own experience as a Christian and tried to fine tune my own gifts and weed out the things that I'm not so good at, it strikes me that there's, there's some, there are some reasons why people often like stall out in ministry or become frustrated in ministry or become distracted in ministry. And I wanna share with you just some practical observations that I've made to maybe get you thinking about yourself and others and your role in the life of the church. So one, one thing that often stalls people out or frustrates people or sidelines people in ministry is when they, they try to be someone they're not in serving the Lord. So they perceive of themselves as, and you fill in the blank, as a leader, a preacher, a counselor, an administrator, but that's not necessarily how God has wired them, but they just really want it. And they seek to engage in that kind of a ministry and they grow frustrated because they're not bearing fruit. Other people aren't affirming that area of ministry for them. So you you need to make sure that if you're serving in an area of ministry, that it is suitable to the way God has wired and matured you. Another thing is to fail to learn from and to lean on others. So we're always learning from one another. There's never a point in your life where you got it all together. As a Christian, we're always learning from one another and leaning on one another. So I know in my own life, as I think of my deficits, there's a lot of people that I learn from, that I observe. I don't want you to think I'm staring at you, but I'm always watching you. And I'm I'm watching how you interact with others and how you respond to me or others mostly subconsciously, I think. 
and sometimes more consciously, but I'm learning from you what it means to be a follower of Christ. And oftentimes I have to lean on other people that have time or talents or treasures that I don't have. And in the same way, we must do that as a a Christian church instead of trying to be everything that everyone else was, uh, everyone else is actually uh, better at, uh, at doing. Third, uh, observing rather than serving. It's so, so, so easy for church to become a spectator event. So easy. I go to the movies. I just watch the screen. I go to the basketball game. I just watch the players on the court. I go to church. I just watch. I observe, but I don't serve. And that robs the body of Christ of the unique blessing that God has given to the church in you in your gifts, in your skills. So I would encourage you to find a place to serve. Fourth, practicing ministry in isolation. You know, in the course of life, you're gonna meet people that are hard to get along with. But if everyone's hard to get along with, guess who the problem, guess where the problem lies? With you. But every once in a while, you have someone that's like a lone ranger Christian. They have their own ministry, they're the head of the ministry, the vice president of the ministry, the treasurer of the ministry, the seat. It's just their ministry. They just do their own thing. I just have my own ministry. And they're unable to connect with the broader body of Christ. Well, that's not how bodies work. You don't just see toes running across the room. You see toes connected to feet that are connected to legs that are connected to hips and torsos and heads and arms. That is the biblical vision of the church, us all working together rather than independently. How about this one? A failure to equip and train others. I was talking to a pastor some time ago. He'd been in his church for like seven years. He hadn't trained one elder yet. That's a problem. The fundamental tasks, task of an elder is to equip, not do, but equip God's people for the work of the ministry. So if we don't have elders here, guess whose fault it is? mine. We can't find anybody to staff our areas of ministry, to serve in various areas of leadership. I'm not doing my job and nor are the elders because we have to equip others for the work of the ministry, but it's so easy. Well, I do all the preaching. I do all the counseling. I do all the leading. So I don't need you. You just come and watch the Aaron Rock show every week. That's not a godly way of running a church. So equip, failing to equip and train others is a problem. Six, failing to be strategic and organized. Failing to be strategic and organized. Ah, I just let the spirit lead. I just believe in the sovereignty of God. He'll, he'll just figure it all out for us. I don't like administration. I'm not much of an administrator. So I'll just hope it all works itself out. One of the qualifications, or I should say tasks of an elder is to administrate the affairs of the church. So if you're not administrating the affairs of the church, you're not doing your full job as an elder. I don't correct people when they say this to me, but every once in a while I have a little internal chuckle when people will say something like, oh, isn't it nice to, you know, just to be able to study the word of God all week like you do, just all week just studying and preparing your sermon. I'm like, most of my time is not studying and preparing sermons never has been. There's all kinds of things, managerial stuff and meetings and staff oversight and dialogue with various ministry team levels. Most, most ministry 
is in the realm of leadership, strategic planning, organization, administration. And why do I do that? Not because I necessarily love it, but because it's necessary for this. It's necessary for this. So that people are properly plugged into areas of ministry. Now, obviously as the church has grown, I've been blessed to have to do less and less of that. And to dump it all on Chris Eelman's plate, which is a whole lot of fun. But there's still time that needs to be dedicated to that. Or seventh, assuming that God will do what you don't or won't. So yeah, I don't, I don't develop elders, but I just pray that God will bring an elder through the door today. It's interesting in broader churchianity, maybe it's changing a little bit, but I know when I was starting out in ministry, almost every time someone was brought into vocational ministry onto the staff of the church, they were brought from outside. That was normal. You need a new lead pastor, call the denominational head office for a stack of resumes. You need a youth pastor, call the denominational office for a stack of resumes. You call the, you need a new worship guy, call the denominational office for a stack of resumes. Like, how about you develop your own leaders? Like, where do you think these people are coming from if no churches are taking seriously the task to train up their own people? Where do you think these resumes are coming from? I can tell you in our church, to the best of my knowledge, I think we have about 26 or 27 people on staff. Only one of them was brought in from another church. To the best of my knowledge, I could be wrong, but I think that's accurate. There's only one person currently on the staff of our church that was directly brought in from another church. Everyone, every other one was trained up from within our church. I mean, we're not opposed to bringing people in from other churches. But if we're doing our job and training people up, why would we need to do that all the time? And then the eighth one would be failing to ask others how you're gifted or wired, just assuming that you know what your gifts are. That's an error. Let's just suppose, for example, that I kick the bucket this week. I die. I'm no longer here. And so the church needs a new lead pastor. And next week you all gather and everyone's just sitting there in their chair and they're kind of looking to the left and right. And then someone just randomly stands up and says, I'll do it. And they just walk up to the stage and they appoint themselves as the new lead pastor. And wouldn't that be super weird? That's not how people are appointed to leadership. I mean, there's there's times of testing and training. There's dialogue with others. That's how we discover our role and giftedness in the church. We're, we don't self-appoint. You don't come up and say, hey, guess what? The Lord told me I'm becoming a missionary in Africa. Start writing checks. You're like, I don't think we had a conversation about this, did we? Like, maybe we don't think you're gifted for that. So in life, there's always some sort of a process of recognition. It can, it can vary, but there's some sort of a process of recognition where we ask others, hey, do you think I'm gifted at this? And you want input because you might think you're cut out for ministry ABC. You go and spend time and energy and maybe even money pursuing it and you discover that's not your thing and you end up a very frustrated man or woman. So our giftedness is affirmed by God's people. 
I can just tell you this anecdotally. I have watched a lot of churches over the last 20 years get planted in various regions of our province and around the country. I, I was just thinking about this this week. I don't remember, I don't remember hearing of any church plant close because of heresy. I don't remember hearing of any church plant close because the moral wheels fell off the proverbial cart. Churches that start and grow and don't get organized often start to do this and they peter out and crash and burn. Almost every time, if not every time, it's usually a result in some way, shape or form of a lack of leadership, of a lack of planning, of a lack of processing, of trying to get too far ahead or, or not catching up or not developing leaders or not making good financial decisions. So these are things for us to consider. It was a potential problem in the early church, but they solved it pretty quick. They solved it pretty quick. So here's a question I just want you to be thinking about. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know how God has uniquely wired you in Christian ministry? Now, if you've only been saved for a few months, we're totally fine with you not knowing. We wanna help you. But if you've been saved for several years and you still have no idea what your gifts are, that's a problem. You need to get quickly into the process of figuring that out. Serving, testing the water, seeing where God allows you to bear fruit, asking other people for input, paying attention to what ministries charge up versus deplete your, your energy, and slowly start to serve the Lord and over time, he'll reveal to you your unique contribution to the body of Christ. And I can tell you when, you, when you are in your zone, it's a good place to be. It can still be very hard, but when you're in the place God has designed for you, it's life-giving. It really is. So be thinking about that. So up till now, we're talking about strategy. We're talking about the need to be organized. We're talking about the crisis in the early church and how they appointed seven men. But here's what we don't wanna go away thinking. We don't wanna go away thinking that the sum total of our ministry as a church boils down to being well-organized, because it doesn't. If you look at the, the process of appointing leaders, what we learn here is that godliness is even more important than giftedness. Godliness is even more important than giftedness. We see the importance of strategy and qualified leadership with an emphasis on the word qualified. As the apostles developed a plan which involved equipping seven men to oversee food distribution, they wanted to make sure that these men were also godly men. Look at verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. What I read is that in first century Greek culture or Jewish culture, I should say, when they were going to assign a group to perform a certain task, for whatever reason, they always chose seven people to form the board. So if that's true, then the number seven is not here because, well, the number seven is a spiritual number. It just mirrored the general way that you would organize projects in the first century. So they have seven men, but notice there's seven men of good repute. That sounds a lot like above reproach, which is an elder qualification, full of the spirit and of wisdom. 
So full of a spirit, meaning humbled before the Lord, led by God, but also wise men. Not smart men, wise men. Not men with high IQs, but wise men. There's a lot of people that have high IQs. Brains are filled with information, but they're not wise. Where does wisdom start, by the way? Fear of the Lord. What is wisdom? It's the proper application of what you know under the fear of the Lord. So these were wise, skillful, experienced, seasoned men that were full of a spirit. And then it says, whom we will appoint to this duty and we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It doesn't mean that they were not no longer going to pray or minister the word. Two of them would become preachers. But they were going to devote themselves, meaning the lion's share of their time was going to be poured into prayer and the ministry of the word. If someone come to, came to them and said, nobody's around, everyone's gone home for the night, I'm hungry, I need a loaf of bread, I'm sure they wouldn't have said, sorry, that's not my job. <laughs> they would have said, oh, here's a loaf of bread, no problem. But they weren't giving out loaves of bread now 12 hours a day. They devoted themselves to their primary assignment and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come up again in the book of Acts. And Philip, not to be mistaken for Philip the apostle, who also would come up, will come up again in the book of Acts. And Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte, meaning a convert of Antioch. By the way, these are all Greek names, so maybe they would have come, up, come from more of the Hellenized side of the, 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 the disciples. So now that maybe a bit of a balance here, the apostles were more on the Hebrew side. These guys may be more on the Hellenized side, just to provide some balance there, that's a good thing. A couple of these men would even go on, by the way, to take on prominent roles of ministry in the church, Stephen and Philip notably. So it goes on to say, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. There was some sort of a formal acknowledgement that you are the men that God has assigned to this role. It is notable that they were only serving bread. And I do not mean that in a derogatory way, but they were doing something very, very practical. It's like, here's a loaf of bread for you. Here's a loaf of bread for you. Hey, would you mind taking that box of bread down to first street and around the corner? There's a widow that needs it. They were just distributing bread. Why do they have to be full of the spirit? Why do they have to be wise? Why do they have to go through a laying on of the hand ceremony? Why does, that, why does it really matter? Much of the modern church being pragmatically driven might ask that question. Like, why does it really matter? I, I've heard of churches, I'm sure it still takes place, who will allow non-believers to play on their music team because they're just good at playing an instrument. It's like, no, that's a spiritual responsibility. I'd rather have a guy that misses a few notes, but that's full of a spirit and wisdom than someone that doesn't even know the Lord Jesus Christ pretending to lead God's people in worship. I heard of a church 
that appointed a person living in sexual sin, not a believer, living in overt sexual perversion, to serve in their kids' ministry because they wanted to have an opportunity to evangelize her. And she's teaching the kids supposedly the word of God. Well, here we have a corrective to that kind of thinking. Even the most basic kinds of ministry require people with godly character. Character matters, even when it comes to serving in the church soup kitchen. Character matters, even when it comes to spreading salt in the parking lot so no one wipes out. Character matters when it comes to running the soundboard. Character matters when it comes to cleaning the facility. And look what God does here. What happens when godly men are appointed and a workable strategy is employed? God continues to bless faithful ministry. You see that? Look at verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase. That's an expression. It doesn't mean the word of God literally continued to get larger and larger. I don't know how that would work, but it basically means it's an expression that emphasizes that their Christian witness kept expanding, that more and more people kept being impacted by by the word of God. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests, some think from the Qumran community, by the way, which is kind of interesting. A great many of priests became obedient to the faith. So what what we don't have here, we don't have like a, a handbook on how to administrate your church in every single aspect of church life. The Bible says very little about how to administrate a church. There's no like order of service given for us in the, in the Bible. This is how long a church service should be. This is the series of events. This is how long the sermon should be. And this is how you should sit. And it doesn't have that. It doesn't tell you that you need to organize a kids ministry and a youth ministry and a men's ministry. It doesn't tell you how to distribute bread to the community. It doesn't tell you that kind of stuff. It doesn't give terms for elders or job descriptions for youth pastors. So there's, there's discretion that can be exercised in any church depending on their circumstance. You know, in, in our church, God has called us to meet the needs of a lot of middle-class people in Windsor, Ontario and in Essex County and beyond. And so there's unique needs We don't distribute a lot of bread, do we? Yeah, but that's not our community. But I can tell you, we do a lot of marriage counseling. And I can tell you, we help people to think through some pretty corrupt views that they have had prior to coming to faith in Christ. And we help people to think through the the pollution and and the worldview around them. Like every church is in a different context. If you... If you're ministering in downtown Toronto, that's different than you're in the Burbs. If you're ministering in Northern Ontario in some small village, that's different than what you're gonna be doing in Vancouver. There's some similarities, but you, you need to develop your ministries depending on the people that God has put in front of you to seek to meet their needs. But that's all wisdom-based. That's all discernment-based. There's no like one way to do church, so to speak. But hear me, th- hear me on this point. 
We should be as organized as we can be in order to fulfill God's unique calling for us. We don't need to be overly organized to the point where like the government, where there's just endless bureaucracy. It's like, you gotta jump through this hoop and that hoop and this and that and this to, to do anything. In our country, it feels like and endless bureaucracy and paperwork and waiting in lines and renewing this and renewing that and getting a sticker for this and a card for that. It's like, oh my word. It's not bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. Sometimes we need to declutter the church's administrative processes and we have from time to time, but we need to have enough organization in place to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And at the same time, remain absolutely faithful to the character qualifications that God expects of all who serve him. And never let that go. Really, really important. So some of you are probably thinking, why did I come to church today? I wasn't really expecting a lesson on church administration. <laughs> and I get it. How many of you, by the way, would just say, you know, I, I naturally kind of like organization and administration. Just kind of throw your hands up. Not too high, but let's put them up, okay? How many of you are like, it's just not really my thing. I'm not really into it. Okay, there's like seven honest people in the room. <laughs> and everyone else is like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say. But chances are some of you, every one of you probably likes it or doesn't like it to varying degrees. So some of you, this is, I love this. This is my thing. This is what I like to do. But I would just say to, to all of us, all of us, we, we need to be as organized and strategic as we need to be to fulfill God's calling for us. That means that some of you need to be a little more scheduled with your weekly schedule in order to position yourself to do what God has called you to do in his church and outside of his church. That means that you need to be as organized as God has called you to be with, with your money. If you have a lot of money, you're gonna to need to spend a little more time on that. To be as organized as you need to be so you can steward your wealth for others. The elders of our church need to be as organized as we need to be to make sure that the doctrine, discipline, direction, care, counseling, and crises of our church are being dealt with. And on and on and on across the ministries of the church so that we, we, we never put ourselves in a position where we're, we're robbing ourselves of ministry opportunities that are before us because we just didn't plan for it. We just didn't equip people. We just didn't delegate responsibilities properly. When I was a kid, I was in a church that had a little bit of a different mindset. It was kind of like, you know, the priesthood of believers is a doctrine that trumps all others. We're all even Stephen. There's really no such thing as leadership. It's arrogant to appoint leadership. God forbid anyone has a title or there's any real organizational structure. It's like, yeah, I wonder why our church has been 75 people for like 50 years. Like you literally rob yourself of ministry opportunities when you don't expand your infrastructure, when you don't equip new leaders, when you don't pass off responsibilities. So much of ministry, of course, is beyond our control. It's just within the sovereign purview of God. But where we have been called to organize, to equip, let's do that. And at the same time, let's make sure that we never drop the biblical qualifications that God has required of us in order to serve him. So view this as an opportunity not to be bored with administrative tasks, 
but to position yourself to bless many other people for the glory of God. 